HPV, I have it, T has it, and almost every woman we know has it. The issue isn't going away, and pointing fingers at us ladies isn't helping. Today we talk with Dr. Diane Harper, HPV expert and principal investigator of the Gardasil trials about the facts, myths, and concerns over HPV. You're listening to Pushing Boundaries with TNA. I'm T. And I'm A. So, (laughs) (laughs) we're so uh, excited about talking with Dr. Harper about this topic because it's something that is near and dear to our hearts. Yeah, we've all had to deal with it. And I've had so many conversations with female friends who are um, emotionally taxed in certain ways. Uh, Yeah, and you know what? It's a secret. I feel like, and like I mentioned, literally, I'm not joking, every close female friend that I have has it and that's only because we are close and and speak freely yeah so then it comes up but it is sort of this guarded secret well and also when we talk everyone's confused about what it is how it works should they be as worried as they are are we getting cervical cancer are we not exactly and here's my thing it's like look i i've had it's not comfortable i've had you know by for half of my sexual life i've had it and half i haven't but i don't know right, nobody knows tested, if it goes away ever away. i don't know mm-hmm. we don't know we'll find out <laughs> but um but look at you know i've had painful cryos biopsies colposcopies all of that but the most uncomfortable and disconcerting thing for me has been that every single doctor i've been to tells me something completely different and i just feel like nobody really knows what's going on so then i don't know what's going on and i don't know if i should freak out or not or right. and i'm really upset that men aren't pet tested for this too that's something yeah, we'll I touch feel on hostility <laughs> and then i i for me i had uh nothing nothing i had the vaccine that came out it came out right while i was in college i had it done i was all good I finally commit to someone. All of a sudden, I have HPV. <laughs> right. So then, and for me, I was yeah. 18. It was my second partner in a relationship. And it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't really know what it was either. And I was... Well, and because there's so much... Education and everything. Go well, because there's so many, com- so much confusion around it. You know, my partner was kind of accusatory. Like, oh, you have an STD. It's termed this, right? So there's hostility and discomfort and, and yeah accusations like what have you been up to and you're like well it's more complicated than that and then the uncomfortable procedures um I had a biopsy I haven't had this cryotherapy done but you have a I did a a few two yeah and a friend of mine as well um and it's you know manageable but painful it's not fun it's not Uh, so we have a lot of questions um again we're here to sort of we're to talk about this T and I are very we've been planning this show for a year and a half but we've been looking for the right person to have on (laughs) so we're very excited to have found Dr. Harper she is the professor and chair of the Department of Family and Geriatric Medicine of the University of Louisville her expertise is on the human papilloma virus HPV yeah (laughs) she was uh, the principal investigator as I mentioned for the clinical trials of Gardasil and Cervarex which are the Vaccines, the vaccines that, that everyone that everyone's, that everyone's, been, everyone's been talking about, and she's got she's speaking, you know, commenting about these vaccines, about the um, talking about the safety and the efficacy of the vaccines, and um, and also in general the misunderstanding of where vaccines in general fit into our healthcare. So she's going to be talking about that as well, and she's she's everywhere. She's been featured on Katie Couric and NPR and CBS. So. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so Dr. Harper, hi. Welcome. <laughs> it's a real pleasure to be with you. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. So as you just heard our our very brief um, 
stories about HPV, but maybe you could start by sort of a 101 of what is it? And yeah. It's a little tiny virus whose DNA makes a circle um, and it is a DNA virus. So that means that it's not like HIV. So it's very different from that. Um, The virus has been with us forever Mm -hmm. in the mammoth dinosaurs that they pull up out of archaeology you can find hpv warts on them wow so it has evolved over millions and millions of years the uh, virus um, uh, capsulates itself it looks like a little tiny 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 microscopic soccer ball Um, And if you think about it, what it does is it's got basically three sets of functions. One function is to reproduce its own DNA. One function is to create that DNA, um, to keep that DNA within the nucleus. And the third function is to put on its outer coat and make it look like a soccer ball. And it literally bounces around on top of skin. That's what HPV does. HPV doesn't live in the blood. It doesn't live in the the saliva. It doesn't live in semen. It doesn't live in vaginal lubrication. It lives in cells. And the only way it's transmitted is cell to cell contact. Now, where, which cells are we talking about? Well, in a heterosexual relationship, Often it's penis to vagina or vagina to cervix. But there are other ways we know that include the skin underneath your fingernails. It's the same kind of skin. It carries the same kind of HPV types. Um, And that's one mechanism, another place that the HPV lives. We know now that it's also in the anus um, and in the little anal skin. And we know in some way that we haven't yet figured out how HPV lives back in the tonsils or back at the very base of the tongue, way, way, way back down in your throat. Um, and we don't really understand that part well at all. That That's still much of a mystery to us. So I'll just start with that it's a tiny virus. It has been with us for many, many years and it survives its whole reasoning, its whole way of infecting skin cells allows it to hide from the immune system, which is why it takes a long time for your body to clear it if your body ever clears it. So what happens? Is it dangerous? What does it do to the skin? So that's, it really, um, as it sits inside the cell, it really does nothing. It just sits there and says, gee, I found a cell to live in and I'm warm and cuddly and I'm just (laughs) going to stay here. And it does that for most of the time. When the bigger cell it's living in gets a signal that says, okay, now it's your turn to reproduce and make more cells because we have to keep replenishing this body, then the, the HPV gets active and it starts to make more HPV as well. If it is a um, non-cancerous type or a low-risk type, it usually makes things like genital warts. And so what that does is it it, um, changes the shape of the cells so that you end up with this wart-like thing, which in itself is not dangerous, 
But if that wart grows so big that it displaces regular tissue, then there's a problem. Sure. You know, mm -hmm. if it if it grows on the underneath your thumbnail and it grows so big that it replaces the end of your thumb, you have a problem, right? So <laughs> It's, it's not a bad disease in and of itself. It's just how big do you let it grow before you got to do something about it because it's interfering with normal function. It's a physical obstruction. It's not yeah. right. Okay. So yeah. speaking of a friend of mine had the wart condition, had him removed. Uh, I think I, I had a different strain, right? So this gets confusing where I've read there's 90 plus strains out there. So the vaccine might protect you from some, but not others. Or Do rather, they all cause cancer. Yeah, exactly. That some are cancerous, some are not. There's like, is it one strain that causes warts? One strain that causes cancer? I no. There are um, about 14 types that are associated with cancer. Two of the types are associated with um, faster change to cancer than the other types. There are about which types five are those types that cause warts? Um, but predominantly two of the types that cause warts and they they cause very different things and they we don't know why but they cause very different endpoints can you name the strains because I know when I get my pap smear back that like if I test positive they'll list the strains so would you could would you mind naming the strains that cause warts and the two that cause fast cancer sure the problem is, I'd be glad to, but the problem is, is that you're probably getting back a hybrid capture test result. Okay. And when those results are reported back, what they say is, um, this person has tested positive for one or more of the following types. And then they mm -hmm. list the 14 types that oh, the test tests for. That doesn't mean you have all of those types. I've had patients who've come in in tears saying, oh my God, I have 14 types of hypers HPV. I'm going to have cancer tomorrow. And, and, yeah, your doctor didn't talk to you very well about that. Uh, so more than likely, people have one type. The, you know, 30% of, of women will have more than one type, a small percentage, less than 5%, will have seven or more of those high-risk HPV types. Um, so more than likely, it's um, you're going to have just a, one or two or three of the high-risk types that they list. Okay. The ones that are most important are 16. 16 is, is kind of the real bad guy. Um, 18 is uh, considered next, although that's there's some debate about that. 31... 33, 45 um, are bad players. Um, and those are kind of the top five of what we consider. The rest of them um, can cause cancer, but it takes them much, much, much longer for those cancer changes to happen. And can I ask you, so with what's happening with this cell, you describe the process of actual of an actual wart happening, and that's a physical obstruction. What's the difference in the ones that do cause cancer? Is it, I mean, it's still a cancer is just abnormal cell growth, technically. So good question. So what happens with the little soccer ball gets into the cell, and it stays outside of the cell's nucleus. And when that cell gets the signal to change, then the HPV that is outside that cell's nucleus forms the wart. When you have a high-risk type of HPV that actually gets inside the nucleus of the cell, then the HPV DNA actually inserts itself into your human DNA, and that allows the opportunity 
but isn't in every case, but it allows the opportunity for uh, cellular changes. Every time the cell replicates, you get more and more opportunity for uh, cancer to start to form. And is, um, so there's, there's benign and malignant, right? Because if I, like, for example, in my case where I I go, you know, there's an abnormal pap, so there's dysplasia, which is the term they use, I guess, for abnormal cell growth in various degrees of dysplasia, and then they do a biopsy, and then they'll end up doing cryo, uh, which is where they they use, they freeze uh, an area of the cervix. So when they do that, is it because there's just abnormal cell growth, period, or is it malignant or benign? Because they know or... it's type 14 over something else. Or I guess my question is, if are they doing it because, oh, it's malignant, or, I mean, clearly they would have told me if it was malignant, right? So I'm guessing that these have all been benign growths that they've frozen off. And these were not warts, by the way. These This was the non-wart just... strains. Sure. So... um Again, I don't know your medical record, sure, and I'm not sure. giving you personal medical advice. I'm just going to talk in general about how the standard of care is. Okay. And what we think um, at this time is that there's really very little need to be doing freezing, to be doing cryo. Um, we know that women who have low-risk types, um, that most 70% will clear within one year, 90% will clear within two years, and 95% will clear within three years. And so if you haven't cleared it within three years, then you have to talk about what do you do. Um, oftentimes, um, the physician will say, well, I think I can get rid of it faster by doing cryo, but there's no evidence that that actually helps or works. Um, so what we usually recommend at this time is that women who um, have a, a visible lesion. So it has to be visible to the doctor that they can actually see there's a lesion. It's not just coming up on a pap smear and there's nothing to see on your cervix. Right. They'll do a um, colposcopy, and, correct? Is that the term? Right. right okay. At colposcopy. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And if there's something visible on your cervix and it continues to stay there and either doesn't grow or grows just a little bit, then the preferential treatment is to do something called a loop electrosurgical excision procedure. In other words, we scoop it out. We actually take out the tissue. We send it to pathology. Pathology can chop it up. They can tell us whether there are really any cellular changes. They can also HPV DNA type it to know what's happening in that piece of tissue. And you're done with it. You've taken out those cells. It doesn't mean that all of the cells are taken out but it means that we have something to verify. With freezing, we can't verify anything. We don't even know if anything was killed. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know where that, which was a very common therapy, you know, 10 and 20 years ago, but it, it really has kind of fallen out of favor because there's, it doesn't contribute to understanding anything that predicts for the woman what her disease is gonna be like. So the T here, I'm a ninny, is the loop <laughs> electrosurgical thingy here, is that more painful than the burning? <laughs> Actually, it's, it's less painful, okay? Because for freezing, in general, people don't use any kind of numbing medicine, and nope. they, they put the um, little probe on your cervix, and they freeze it, what? and you get uterine cramping, which feels like you're having a baby or really bad menstrual cramps, 
And then you can have up to 29 days of watery discharge that's running down your leg. So um, it, it cryo is, um, it can be effective at, at destroying cells, um, but it's not what we use very much in the United States. Just a little um, dated, it sounds like. Except for my doctors, apparently, because it's like, it seems like whenever there's been abnormal, like an abnormal pap, then it's a, you know, a copos- okay, let's look at it, colposcopy, or they take a biopsy and then they do a cryo. Again, I am not... I'm just using my story well, my as like an example. Thing. I had never even heard of cryo and a friend said she was having that done as well. That's, I just felt so like it was standard. And so, and so even just recently, my doctor's like, okay, cry, you know, Copop and then 99% sure you're going to have to do a cryo. And it's like, well, well, wait a minute, because, and maybe you could demystify this for us, but I've heard a, or I don't know if it's a rumor or something I've read online, or, but that if you do a lot of colposcopies, or sorry, colposcopies where they look, but a biopsy where they like, the biopsies where they remove tissue, right? Yeah. Or a uh, um, a cryotherapy. If you if you do too much of it, then it's your the cervix may not dilate appropriately during birth, and that you may be at risk for cesarean. Is that true at all? Or that's very true, and that's part of the reason why we don't. Because when you do cryo, you change the cervix, and you do indeed. We call it a stenotic os, meaning that the opening of the cervix is uh can doesn't always but can become fixed and um with uh, scar tissue and then it won't dilate and um that is for women who are considering pregnancies that is something you really would prefer not to have so uh, um i know that this is probably different for every person but i'm a little worried now that (laughs) that i've had a couple of these is it like where you've had a bunch or is it really just it's it's just just different sometimes sometimes it yeah affects your dilation or not um your doctor should be able to tell you whether your os is stenotic i mean that's a pretty easy thing they can Mm -hmm. either put a q-tip in it really easily and it passes or they can't and Mm. you know they should be able to tell you okay thanks can i ask i and this is for me i'm going okay if i have a biopsy they're doing the biopsy because they can't tell what strain it is i've always been kind of confused by that so they're doing a biopsy because they can't tell whether the HPV has actually caused any cell damage. Remember, I said at the beginning that this little soccer ball goes in the cell, and as long as the cell's not doing anything, it just sits there, and it doesn't do anything, and you can't detect it by any means of knowing whether you're infected or not. Um, once the cell that the HPV is in gets the signal that it's its turn to start reproducing, then um, you will have the ability to see whether changes are made. So the reason they do a biopsy is to determine, has there been any change that's happened on the cervix that we need to worry about? Um, In the United States, we classify that into three stages. We call that CIN grade one, or cervical intraepithelial lesion grade one, grade two, and grade three. Grade three is the only one that's a real cancer precursor, but in the United States, compared to Western Europe, the United States doctors treat grade two and three because we don't really know what grade two does. Okay. And this, this CIN is only, um, they can only determine that by actually having the biopsy. That's right. Okay. Bummer. So that doesn't have anything to do with the HPV type. So, right. right? It's just talking about tissue damage. Right. Yeah. Wow. So okay. Dr. Harper, you had mentioned, um, 
you had mentioned that uh, doctors will wait and see if you clear or if the HPV clears after a certain amount of time. Now, this is something that I've been told by one doctor, oh, it's HPV, it'll go away. And then the next doctor's like, you have HPV. Like, I'm going to die. So <laughs> I've had like all, and you're, you're going to have this for the rest of your life. And I, so I've had different, I've, I've heard different perspectives from all these doctors. So does it clear, It does it does HPV go away or does it just go back to being dormant and not injecting its DNA into the cell of the, the nucleus of the cell or? So, I, yeah. Uh, so. 70% of HPV infections of the high-risk type, now we're not talking about genital warts, although they're probably the same, um, but of the kinds that can cause cancer, 70% of them, your body will find and get rid of over a, a one-year time frame. Hmm. Your body will get rid of 90% of them over a two-year time frame. Um, the reason your doctor kind of scares you and says, oh my God, you've got a horrible cancer-causing type, is because they don't want you to get lost in the system, the medical system and not come back. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, I've not found that that's been an effective way of motivating people. <laughs> I, I would rather empower people than make people afraid. And we appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you. In a way, if you're afraid, you might even run away and say, it I'm does. It makes me it makes me like it, it does become a blog where I'm like, oh, I need to make that appointment. No, I'm not wait. Yeah, because you don't, can't well, handle the bad And you news. should know, and I think your listeners should know, that even if you have the CIN3 type, even if you have the type that we know is a precancer, that only 20% of those actually become cancer in five years. Okay, this is great to know. And that's of the people who have CIN3. So let's go back to HPV in general and how dangerous is this really because I read a stat that only 5% of people with HPV end up developing cervical cancer from it. Is that accurate or? 5% of the HPV infections go into a CIN3 disease. So 95% of the infections go away and they don't cause anything that could ever be related to cancer. But even CIN3 is a precancerous condition, right? That's right. It doesn't necessarily so wait a second it. so let me get this clear so five percent of hpv cases enter cin3 stage which is a precancerous condition so that's not even a full cancerous condition that's right I wow feel like, i feel like this like tightness in my chest just released like from years of <laughs> anxiety <laughs> anxiety and overwhelmed can i i will say okay one little thing, and I feel like you've already addressed the the strains, but I feel like I was never told what kind of strain I had from my doctor. Like I'm not, it just wasn't even clear to me. They might not know. I mean, sorry. It depends ahead. on what your doctor, uh, what tests they use, because the um, there are different um, testing possibilities for HPV, and the um, some of them will give you the HPV type, and some of them won't give you the HPV type. So it depends on which test they're using. Can you tell us which test we want? Yeah, I was gonna say, it seems prudent <laughs> Can, to get like, the type. <laughs> I want to find a doctor who uses this type of testing. What would I ask for? So you ask for the COBAS, C-O-B-A-S, COBAS HPV genotyping. And can they do that from uh, like a PAP kind of yep. thing? They okay. can do that They when they do their PAP and put it in the little liquid bottle. Um, it's a test that's run by Roche, 
And okay. uh, your doctor can send it to the labs that have that test. Oh, my God. Thank you. <laughs> wow. So, okay, so back to this 5%, not really 5% statistic. <laughs> Why, of all the diseases and life-threatening things out there in the world, any perspective on why this has been given so much attention on creating a vaccine for preventing this seeming sounds like very rare condition? Well, it, it's rare because small percentages actually go into a cancer. But if you look at in developing world um, where we don't have pap screening, if you look at what diseases women die of, cervical cancer is either number one or number two. Oh, wow. So um, worldwide, there's about um, half a million women who get real cervical cancer every year. And of them, about 250,000 of them die every year. So it's um, because there are a lot of us women on this earth, even if you take only 5% of them, that turns into a large number of women. Right. Okay. So um, it's, it, you know, so it depends on kind of your perspective and where you're looking at it. If we're living in the United States where we have a very robust um, screening program and screening system, we can pretty, and it's now even more, because we're using HPV testing in our screening, we can now detect people who have a big chance of cancer and get rid of the CIN3 before it goes into cancer even though the CIN3 doesn't guarantee you will ever develop cancer. Right. So um, in the United States, that's the reason. Now, the downside is, just as you've experienced, if you get the infection and you have to go through more exams, and some doctors are doing some things that aren't quite state-of-the-art, and you you don't know that as the patient. You just hope your doctor knows what they're doing. So you know, if you could prevent it from happening in the first place, that might be a good thing. You mean contracting HPV. Right. And so, but the problem with the prophylactic vaccines is that um, we don't know how long they're going to last. And we know that um, for Gardasil, for instance, the longest data we have that is um, of substantial quality shows it lasts five years. So if you give it to somebody at 12 years of age by 17, you know, they're susceptible. And if can you wait and give it to them at 18 when they graduate from high school, you know, they're covered for the next five years. But, you know, not all women, but most women maintain some kind of sexuality and sexual life throughout all of their years. Sure. Um, and any kind of sexual experience is it puts you at risk. It doesn't mean that you will get it. It doesn't mean that you won't get it. But sexual activity and numbers of partners are the biggest predictors of getting HPV. And just to clarify, regarding the vaccine, and it, it so it lasts five years, is one not able to get, I'm like, we'll just get another shot then. Right. Why don't we get the vaccine Does that again? not work? So, um, so the other thing I have to say is that Gardasil is the worst of the two vaccines. Okay, that's um, what I have. Cerberex is actually the better vaccine. Um, and even if you look at Gardasil 9 that is coming out that is being is going to replace plain old Gardasil, um, Gardasil 9 does no better job than Gardasil at preventing that CIN3 um, precancer. Cerberex 
actually is a much better vaccine. It will give you close to 93% protection regardless of HPV type, which is really amazing. That is. Um, and we know it lasts for at least nine and a half years. And we know that should you not get all three doses and just get one dose, that you have the same efficacy, the same ability to protect you against CIN3 as you would with three doses. Okay. So we're hoping now the the as medical professionals, we can't recommend one dose of Cervarex to people because that's not what it's FDA cleared for. But we're hoping that if we give one dose of Cervarex and they never come back for the second and third, we know that they're going to be protected. Whereas if you give one or two doses of Gardasil, you don't have protection until you get the third dose. Okay. And again, so once you've... Um once you've like if I take Cervarex and after nine years uh can I take it again it does that work or yes. is okay so oh, you does. can re-up your vaccine and there's no evidence to say you have to and there's no evidence to say you can't but what we do know is that Cervarex has been tested in women up to the age of 72 um, and we know that um, it, it has not received FDA approval for that because the FDA felt like this should be a vaccine for young adolescents. But the tests have been done, the studies are published. Um, older women who decide that they um, are no longer in a relationship and want to start new relationships, who want to be protected, they can ask their physician for Cervarex. Now, it will be not covered by their insurance, it will be off-label, and they will have to pay out of pocket for it. But, it, you know, it's a, a discretionary expense. Um, you can buy a new dress, you can buy a new pair of shoes, you can buy a shot of Cervarex. Holy crap. So, so, <laughs> okay, so hold on a second. So, if, so why, uh, we need to take a break, actually. Yeah. We have, I have so many questions about the vaccine, and, um, and I know there's a lot of concerns over safety with vaccines and whether, you know, it just... Do you do good screening versus get a vaccine? So we're going to get to all of those questions in just a second. You're listening to Pushing Boundaries of TNA. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Diane Harper. Tweet us at TA Sex Talk, uh, Instagram we'll right oh. at TA Sex Talk Podcast. You can check out our blog, pbwitha.com. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the show. We're talking with Dr. Diane Harper, who's uh, an HPV expert, and she was one of the, uh, you were the principal uh, investigator for the clinical trials of Gardasil and Cervarex. So we've been we're, talking about, what, no, go sorry. Ahead. No, just go ahead. <laughs> oh, we're we're so excited. We are. So we've been talking about HPV, and it's been um, extremely uh, informative. Thank you. And we were just talking about the vaccines, and you can I, I am yes. mini introduction, the developing world, the issues with cervical cancer, are all of the cervical cancer cases stemming from HPV? Yes. Wow. That's the only way that we get cervical cancer. HPV is necessary. It's not sufficient, but you have to have an HPV infection first. To get cancer. Cervical yep. cancer okay. there that we know, that we know of as of now. Okay. Wow. Okay. So okay. here's my next question is, um, 
um, if I, you know, okay, so do I look at getting a vaccine or do I look at just being very rigorous with my screening processes since I have them available to me um, and just keep up with my pap smears? And if my doctor says, oh, we're going to do cryo immediately, I'll just temper them and watch it myself for a few years and see what happens. Or, I mean, because I've heard lots of things out there about the dangers of vaccines and they don't really work and they're full of all kinds of chemicals that just, you know, fill your body with toxins. Do you have any input on that? <laughs> okay, so um, a, two, a couple of different things that I think are really important for you and your audience to hear. One is that cervical cancer screening saves lives. Um, it is critically important for all women regardless of what their sexual orientation is, to come in for cervical cancer screening on a routine basis. And that's via pap smear, just to clarify. Right, pap smear. We've done a good job now of making that it doesn't have to be every year. Um, If things are looking okay, it can be every three years or every five years. But that's what's going to save lives because that doesn't care which kind of HPV gets into your cervix. That's saying I'm looking at this from a disease endpoint. Neither vaccine, neither the Gardasil 9 nor the Cervarex is going to protect you from all HPV types. So getting vaccinated and not going to screening is a bad idea. Okay. Really bad idea. Now, the, whether you should get vaccinated or not, in the United States, screening starts at the age of 21. And so it's really important to think that if I get vaccinated, what I'm doing is giving myself a bridge protection from the age I get vaccinated until I have my first pap smear um, because I will have disease being able to be detected. I will tell you, even in the Gardasil trials, in women who got Gardasil, they developed CIN3, but they got it from a different HPV type. So, and they were really upset because they got the vaccine and they did everything that they were supposed to do. And why did they end up with a cancer precursor? So that's the important message is that if you're choosing to get vaccinated, you have a choice between two vaccines, the Gardasil 9 or the Cervarex. Um, And if you choose to be vaccinated, you're probably going to want to choose Cervarex because it gives you better protection over more types, but not all types. Um, and then you will have a shot at having screenings then at every three or five years. And that is what's going to protect you from cervical cancer. That is really important. You can choose not to have the vaccine, but you cannot choose to not go screening because that really puts you at high risk. That really just doesn't give you any protection at all. Okay. And you why you know i exempted myself from from getting vaccinated at all because i wasn't within that age range that was being marketed yeah so, i mean i remember being told under 25 or like under like 17 and you or couldn't, 15 like, or i thought it was like a medical condition like you can't have it after 25 yeah, or that, <laughs> you know like yeah, it's or kryptonite that, after 25 or that i've already since i already have it it's pointless so can you can you clarify some of the confusion around that um, you can take this vaccine at whatever age you want to take it. And it can okay. be effective. It has been proven. It's been studied in kids as young as nine. Um, and as, as I said, for Cervarex as old as 72. So it has nothing to do with how old you are. The reason that the CDC and the public health officials push so hard for adolescents is that the adolescents are 
make a better immune response, and they're the ones that are exposed um, in higher frequency. People are usually, but not always, but usually more sexually active between the ages of 16 and 30 than they are at other ages in their life. And for the um, CDC to approve this vaccine, one of the consequences of that approval means that the Vaccine for Children Fund, which is a state-run fund with state dollars, that the CDC has to tell the state health departments that it is an economically wise choice to use this vaccine and for them to spend money on it. And so in order for them to do that, they have to say the most cost-effective age for the states to buy this vaccine and give it to people is at that young nine mm -hmm. to 11 years of age. I so see. that overrode everything in understanding what the vaccine can do, who it's useful for, what it can help with, what it may not help with. So that being said, we as, because um, again, you mentioned that most insurances don't cover after that recommended age. Um, so we could, I'm guessing we would just need to campaign and get a hold, you know, get work with our Congress people or whatnot to try to shift the healthcare perspective on that. I don't know. I mean, what else can you we know, do? <laughs> you're not now you're not gonna do that because the company has to go to the FDA and get a change in indication for the drug. Okay. Um, that's the only way it will get changed. And um and how companies can, are for profit, right? Companies have shareholders. So that's not the way to do it. Um well, then the, you, okay. you think that they would then automatically do that because mm -hmm. the more people they can vaccinate, the more money, right? No. Not really. Not <laughs> well, I was going to say maybe because it's like they're able to market and target a, a specific group and it's almost like specificity can grow your market. Maybe. I mean, not for. Right. Oh, right. Okay. I think the thing to also that I want to mention before we run out of time yeah. is that um, we are looking at making um, therapeutic vaccines and treatments for women infected with HPV. Um, unlike meningitis, where the vac once you get infected with meningitis, you can be dead in three hours. And so getting adolescents to get the meningitis vaccine is really important. It's really critical. Getting HPV doesn't kill you. You know, you can have it for a very long time, and you can even have a CIN3 lesion for a very long time, and you don't die. So it's not something that is an immediate infection. So we have taken, um, the researchers of us have taken um, and have, have medicines and drugs in trials that we're looking to see, can we take women who already have these infections and give them a shot or give them a drug um, or a cream or something, and that will make the HPV go away and will clear and cure the HPV. Yeah, we'd and love that. that <laughs> would be a much bigger breakthrough because right. that way we actually have something to offer patients. Let me ask a question. Um, I, I know we have we are running out of time, but there's three things I want to touch on real quick. First is I read a stat that uh, I, I kind of want to address the shame that's around this because HPV is so prevalent. And I read a stat, I, I don't know if this is right, but that said that if a person is sexually active, there is a 100% chance that they will at some point in their life contract HPV. Is that totally off the mark? I, I don't think that that's true. Um, 
It depends on, so there's a really good study done in Montreal called the Hitch Study, and it looked at sexually active couples and numbers of, of, of encounters. Um, and in that cohort, yes, they were 100% likely, but they were already a sexually active cohort. Um, I have cared for people who have made, you know, the abstinence pledge and have said, I'm going to be abstinent for the rest of my life, or I'm going to be abstinent until I get married. And so has their partner. And um, therefore, when they have sex, no, there is no HPV infection that just spontaneously appears. I've so, you know, I, I don't think that that's true. I think that um, certainly if you the more partners you have, the more partners your partner has, the higher the chances are you'll get HPV. But certainly I couldn't say that it's 100 percent. Sure. I at some point had heard that condoms don't protect from all HPV. Do you know anything about that? Is it you know. So condoms very nicely cover the penile shaft and the head of the penis, but it really doesn't very, do very much for the scrotum. And if you think about it, this is a skin-to-skin -skin infection. Right. The penis sits on top of the scrotum and kind of bounces around on the scrotum all day long, shedding back virus from penis to scrotum. Mm -hmm. Then you put the condom on the penis and you have sex and the scrotum bumps into you, right, as the partner? Right. So there's HPV infection from that. So it doesn't, it's not 100% protection. It's protective to some degree, but unless he's going to put a wetsuit on, <laughs> you're not going to have any kind of protection. That does help clarify because I was always like, what happened then? How does that happen? So what, what is the population, the percentage of the population that does contract HPV? I just, it's, I feel like it's been all over. It's been like one out of four, one out of two. I mean... It's, I think the best estimates are that over a lifetime, um, if you look at all women over a lifetime, 50% of them will have had HPV. At some point, okay. So, okay. Some people will say 80%, but I think right. it's somewhere between 50 and 80%. Okay, so that's pretty high. I mean, so I don't, I again, I, you know, my girlfriends, it's always been this little secret of like, oh, I, you know, damn it, I have this. <laughs> right. And, so, yeah. And, side question, you have a... Um, just the, the issue of like throat cancer. I mean, is this, you know, Michael Douglas was really big in the news. I mean, HPV's, I guess, oral sex is the number one way to get that. I mean, you mentioned it, HPV living in the back of the throat. It can. And I don't know if Michael Douglas's um, <laughs> uh, head and neck cancer was HPV positive or not. Um, the, the good news is if you get head and neck cancer and it's HPV related, you have a much better chance of survival than if it's not. Okay. So yeah, take that for what it's... <laughs> Be positive. Um, so, but yes, it can. Also, uh, Farrah Fawcett was in the news with dying of rectal cancer, and that was HPV-associated. Wow. Um, it was just that we don't have pap smears for the anus that are uh, widespread. And unless you develop a mass or develop real problems having bowel movements, you may not know there's something going on. Wow. So that's something that um, women can pay attention to more closely. Is okay. that like a, do they have a procedure for that? Like in the gay community, do they test for HPV in the anus? There are some uh, sites that will do what they call the anal pap smear. Mm -hmm. um, it hasn't been adopted widespread, uh, even within all of the MSM populations. Um, it, you know, some labs, it's more sensitive than others. We don't know as much. We know that cervical, it's a long time from an HPV infection to real disease. We know from the very small studies that in the anus, it's an even longer period of time before there's real disease. But we don't know a lot of the details about it. 
And what about men being tested? Because this is, again, this is this makes me very upset that men are not being tested. Is it possible? I'm surely it's possible. So we do test men in research studies, but the way we test men is that it's it takes, you know, a good five or six minutes, which is not, it takes less than 30 seconds to do a pap smear in a woman when you're actually doing the swab. Um, but in a, a man, you know, the way we've done it in research trials is we've taken an emery board and, and kind of very fine emery board and, and roughed up the skin on the shaft of the penis and on the end of the penis on the scrotum, um, and then used a, a wet um, Q-tip to help uh, collect the cells that come off of that. Some people use duct tape to be able to, they put it on and pulled it off and took off a cell layer with that. It's not a procedure men want to do. Yeah, but um, forgive, you know, forgive me, but it's a fine emery board is not that painful. I don't have a penis, so I can't pap speak to that. Feel but good. I was exactly. never questioned about it. So it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> well said. <laughs> Right. So we don't have the um, reproducibility to know um, what they're being tested for. We do test men in research studies, but there has been no FDA cleared HPV test to use for men. Would you recommend that in your in your experience that they could be tested? That, That we start screening for men regularly or find a way to do it? Um. Or would so that I've had be... a lot of I've had both a lot of women and a lot of men come to see me. Um, the danger is that if you test a man who says my girlfriend just came back and told me she's HPV positive and I think she's sleeping around, um, and you test him and his comes back negative, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily negative. It just means you didn't find any. But mm. he takes that to mean I am completely clear and you are the wrong person here. Mm. Um, um, and so I, I don't know that until we have a much better worked out method of being able to reproducibly and accurately be able to tell men whether they're infected or not, I don't know that it's going to help us because I get it. I get that the women are, are feeling horrible and feeling like, wait a minute, you know, you carry half this burden too. And they do, they do carry half the burden but it's much harder to find it in them. Okay. And one last question, uh, because we're out of time here. What do you have any last um, advice or thoughts on, on, on vaccines in general? Because I know that's, that's where your work lies and how we can incorporate vaccines more effectively and healthfully in our healthcare regime. The, well, certainly, I think infant vaccines have saved um, pediatric populations, and we now have much more children who live. So I personally will vaccinate my young children. I personally think that that's good. I think that there are others who have um, a lot of hesitation about that, and you know that's their decision uh, to make. I think when we talk about uh, vaccines for highly infectious diseases that kill you very quickly, that um, those, and if you're going to be in a a, um, situation where you could be exposed to that, then that's probably a good thing to consider. Um, Again, every, as we are learning more and more about ourselves and about our DNA and about how different our DNA is, even though it's all similar, some people are going to react differently. And so it really becomes an individual choice. I would just encourage people to think that, look at the disease it's protecting, look at why it was developed. And 
is there a reason, is there a real concern for death, a real concern for um, really bad medical conditions that happen if you get that disease <clears throat> that you would avoid with a vaccination? Whereas with the HPV vaccine, it's much more of a, wouldn't it be nice if? Okay, right. And one last thing for the clarifying the HPV vaccine. If someone already has HPV and they get a Maybe would they should maybe they should wait until their HPV clears until they get the vaccine. Would that be no. more? No, just do it. If you um, if you already have HPV, the vaccine is not going to make that HPV type go away. Right. Um, but what if you get the Cervix vaccine? What you will do is get protection against any new um, infections and any new HPV types that you don't already have. In the meantime, um, the one you have may clear. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Great. Oh, my gosh. Dr. Wow. Harbour, Dr. Diane Harbour, thank you so much for being with us. She's an uh, expert on HPV. And what else do I say? <laughs> <laughs> she's at the um, she's the department uh, chair of the Department of the Family and Geriatric Medicine at the University of Louisville. Thank you so much for being with us. This has immensely cleared really so many questions up <laughs> over 15 Great. years of dealing with this. And I and I um, I'm sure our listeners will will love hearing this. as well, well. I found that even reading online, nothing has been as clear as this interview. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> thank you. Good. And keep up the good work. And uh, thanks for being with us. Thank you, guys. Wow, that was a mind blower. <laughs> yeah, a lot racing through my head. I know. Um, okay, so please, if you'd like to get involved in the conversation, use the hashtag TASexTalkHPV. Also, send us a voicemail. You can do that through SpeakPipe on our website at pbwithga.com. You can also email us from there. Um, but we'd, we'd love to hear from you. And if you have any questions or um about this that you'd like us to reach out to dr harper for i don't know anything yeah anything on your mind i still think men should be tested we'll talk about that more later <laughs> i agree with you i totally agree <laughs> find us on twitter at ta sex talk on instagram at ta sex talk podcast also on facebook you're listening to pushing boundaries with tna i'm t and i'm a